You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go to Mark chapter 1 as we kick off our annual vision series where we will learn together what it means uh, to be the church Jesus has called us to be. And I just want to say again, um, if it's your first time with us today, welcome. Uh, so glad you're here. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors of The Crossing. And uh, on behalf of the pastors and members, uh, we truly are excited to have you with us today. Um, Mark chapter 1, as we will be, starting in verse 14. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. And as always, the sermon notes for today are on the Version Bible app. So if that serves you, serves you, you can grab the notes from there. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray together one more time. Jesus, you are here in your Holy Spirit. And I pray that right now in this time that we have together, um, that the words that are spoken are your words. That this sermon would literally be an extension. It would be just as if you were here right now speaking this message to these people in this moment. I pray that you will edit and cut anything that does not need to be said. I pray that the only words that are spoken are words that we need to hear from you. And so I know that everybody comes in here from a different um, a different perspective. People come in here in a different place. People come in here, some had a great week, some a terrible week. Some are dealing with anxiety, pain, suffering, bitterness, doubts, fears, questions. And I just know and I recognize that Jesus, that only you can minister to each person in a way that they need. And so I pray that you will do that in this time for our good and your glory. It's a cross thing that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Vince Lombardi was a legendary football coach for the Green Bay Packers about 50 years ago. And He's considered not only to be one of the greatest football coaches of all time, but actually one of the greatest coaches in all of sports. And the story goes that Lombardi would start the first practice of every single season holding up a football and saying to his team, gentlemen, this is a football. Now keep in mind, he's talking to professional athletes, men who have been playing football their entire life. And yet every year at the beginning of the season, he'd hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football, which is his way of saying every year we have to come back to what is basic. We have to reset our priorities and we have to call to mind the one thing that is necessary. Because if we lose sight of the main thing, what Lombardi recognizes, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned we are, it doesn't matter how hard-working we are, or how gifted or talented we are, if we miss out on the main thing, we will, as a result, 
lose sight of why we've come together in the first place. And she because this is true, not just when it comes to a football team, but also to the church, this morning we're launching our vision series in a way of trying to make sure that we do not miss out on the main thing. Because the truth is, no matter what else we do, it doesn't matter who you have on staff here, it doesn't matter who leads worship on Sunday, it doesn't matter what building we meet in or how many people we pack in here, the truth is... If we miss out on the main thing, we will miss out on what Jesus has called us to do as a church, which means we will miss out on living the life that God has actually created and called us to live. And because that is true, what I want you to do is I want you to look back with me in Mark chapter 1. And in Mark chapter 1, what we are going to see is Jesus reminding us of the main thing that he was about and therefore the main thing that we should be about as a church. And just to set the context for you before we read this, the people of Israel are now living in a militarized zone that is being occupied by the Roman Empire. Now I want you to just imagine what this is like. I mean, the people of Israel are now being taxed beyond what they can pay, which means the places they had been living for generations, they are now losing. And they're now being forced to work as debt slaves on their own homeland. So things are not going well for Israel at this point. If you would have been dropped into Mark chapter 1, you would have been dropped into a world that is filled with suffering and pain and injustice, a world of loss and failed expectations and deep sorrow. And it is into this world, Jesus walks on the scene and in one short sentence sums up his entire ministry. If anybody ever asked you to sum up Jesus's ministry in one short sentence, this is it. Verse 15, Jesus walks on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, for those of us living in Northeast Arkansas in 2020, that might not jump out at you. But what you have to understand is for a first century Jew, for Jesus to walk on the scene and say the kingdom of God has come near, this would have set off for you all kinds of bells and whistles deep inside of your heart. Because for a Jew growing up in the first century, literally, it was to grow up sitting on your grandpa's knee, hearing him tell you stories about the kingdom of God. If you were a first century Jew, you would have grown up going to the temple, singing about the kingdom of God. You would have heard teaching over and over about the kingdom of the God. And though I could give you many examples of what these teachings would have been like that have been passed down for generation to generation, here is just one example I will give you. This is from the prophet Isaiah, um, whose uh, prophecies were one of the most popular during this time period. And here's what uh, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah said about what life is going to be like when the kingdom of God comes. And I just want you to, to hear this. This is Isaiah 35, starting in verse 1. He says, When the kingdom of God comes, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. That means you will see, finally, how beautiful God really is in all of his essence. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give away. Say to those with fearful hearts. Anybody in here have a fearful heart? Anything you anxious over? Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
Then, listen to this, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on the way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sign will flee away. Isn't that incredible? This is a picture of what life in the kingdom of God is like. And, and, and if you would have been a first century Jew, remember again, these are the words that would have been spoken over you over and over. These are the words that would have been deposited into your heart from the time you were a small child. The words that remind you that one day, just as we saw in the Garden of Eden, there is coming again a day when the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man will overlap. Just as we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, there is coming a day, the prophet Isaiah and all the other prophets would say, where God will once again dwell with man in a place where there's no war, in a place where there's no crime, in a place of no hate, no betrayal, no, no relational breakdown, no sorrow, no infidelity, no cheating, no lying. No sickness, no disease or death. This is what life is like when the kingdom of God fully overlaps with the kingdom of man. It is literally heaven on earth. And what I submit to you this morning is no matter who you are or where you come from or how you came in the room today, you long for this world. And you long for this world because you were created by God for this world. However, as many of you know, the problem is by the time we get to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, deceived by the serpent, decide, you know what? I think I can run my life better than God, which is just a good definition of sin, by the way. I can run my life better than God, so I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what they decide to do. They, they grasp for control God never intended for them to have. They rebel against the king of the universe. Sin enters the world, and immediately, in a tragic turn of events, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are divorced. They no longer overlap. There's this horrible split between heaven and earth. And what you have to understand now is you and I, because of this, when we are born into this world, we are not born into the kingdom of God. We're born into the kingdom of darkness. Or we're not born into a world where we know nothing but delight. We're born into a world where we know death and disappointments. We're born not into a world of complete freedom, but we're born into a world of slavery where we are ruled by our own desires that if left unchecked and unabated will drive us into the ground. And that is the bad news, but fortunately there is good news. And the good news is rather than God leaving us in our mess, in our sin problem, he promises to send a king who will one day, once and for all, bring heaven and earth back together again. And so in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall Right after Adam and Eve sin, Genesis 3.15, God says, I'm sending a king who will usher in my kingdom and this king will crush the head of evil. In Genesis 12, 3, says this king will come and bless the world. And Zechariah 9, this king will come and he will rule from sea to sea and bring peace to the nations. In Isaiah 61, it says this king will come and bring good news to the poor. He'll bound up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. 
And then in Isaiah 65, it says this king will come and he'll create a new heaven and a new earth and every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more. Again, first century Jew, you grew up hearing these promises over and over and over. And therefore, you would wait with eager expectation for the day that this king would come on earth and fulfill this promise. And so you keep that in mind. You go back to Mark chapter 1. The question we should all be asking is, is if that's true, that Jesus has brought the kingdom on earth whenever he said the kingdom of God is now at hand. If that is true, then what happened? I mean, like, if it's true that Jesus brought the kingdom with him, as he said in Mark 1, and the kingdom looks like what we said it just looks like, where sighing and sorrow will flee away, right? If it's true this kingdom will be a place marked by gladness and joy and peace and beauty, then why does the world still look like this? Why is it still so broken? Why is it still so so messy? That is a question that we need to honestly ask. And this is a question that those in the first century would have clearly been asking. Um, John MacArthur, who is someone I've never quoted before, will probably never quote him again. He gets this right in his commentary on this passage. He says, for, for the first century Jew, for them in the kingdom, or for them, the kingdom had very clear definitions. It would come in glory and power. There would be pomp and circumstance. There would be great cataclysmic events. There would be the punishment of evildoers. So think about this. They've been oppressed by the Roman Empire. In their mind, Jesus is going to come and he's going to end that oppression. He's going to wipe out the Roman Empire. They were looking for the music, the horses, the triumph, the wonder, the glory, the show, the publicity. They really expected a blazing display of power and glory and majesty and might as their Messiah established his kingdom. But as MacArthur points out, it did not happen that way. Rather than the Messiah coming in, in a blaze of glory, how did he come? As a baby, in a manger, born to a very poor family in a podunk town. Rather than Jesus wiping out the Roman entire Empire and killing all of them, the Roman Empire killed Jesus. They crucified him. And then, though Jesus would raise from the dead, which we celebrate, he eventually ascended back into heaven, even though life on planet Earth was still a mess. You ever thought about that? So the question is, like, What's happening here? Like if it's true the kingdom of God has come with Jesus and the kingdom of God is everything we just read about, then why is the world still so broken? And Jesus, anticipating that we would ask that question, gives us the answer. And so if you will, flip with me over to Mark chapter 4. Go with me to Mark chapter 4. Flip over just a couple pages. And Jesus understands... That like the first century Jews, many of us have a distorted view of what life will be like when the kingdom of God appears. And so he begins to try to clarify things for us. And Mark chapter 4 started in verse 30. And here's what we read. Chapter 4 verse 30. Again Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Now listen to what he says next. Because Jesus could have said anything he wanted, but this is the way he describes the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed. Which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth? Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying here is to the first century Jews, you know, you really expect whenever I say the kingdom of God is coming, that the kingdom is going to come all at once. But the reality is the kingdom of God is going to come slowly, but surely over a long period of time. I think about this pin oak that I have in my front yard. I think we can put a picture on the screen. Yeah, there it is. And I love this oak tree. It's one of my favorite things about our house and our yard, just this, this oak tree in the front yard. And I would love to see this tree when it's fully grown. But the reality is, unless I live to be about 85 plus years old, I won't see it when it's fully grown. And that is because this tree, like many other trees, though it is growing every single year, it is growing very, very slowly. And what Jesus says is, that's what my kingdom is like. It starts small. And small, by the way, if small feels so insignificant, doesn't it? I mean, especially in our culture today, where, you know, we think everything needs to be big, important. Like even in the church, I was talking with Logan about this earlier, how even in the church, we feel like, man, if it's small and it's normal and it's ordinary, then God must not be in it. I mean, because we live in a culture where we want everything to be spectacular, right? I mean, we, we log on to social media and what do we see on social media? Everybody's taking incredible vacations, right? Everybody is eating delicious food. Everybody has six pack abs, Right? Everybody's having amazing experiences. And somehow, in the midst of all they do, their kids are always smiling. <laughs> and it's easy to look at that and say, man, I want that life. But the problem is, that life doesn't exist. It doesn't. Life is not like that. The internet's like that. But life is not like that. A lot of life is not just amazing, Right? It's not. A lot of life is, that's cool. A lot of life is ordinary. And though we're tempted to think that ordinary is lame, what does Jesus say? There's actually beauty in the ordinary. There's beauty in those small, seemingly insignificant moments. Why? Because that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And so it feels so small and so insignificant. However, what Jesus is getting at is though the kingdom starts small. Listen, guys, it will surprise you. Because if you give it enough time, if you will sow into the kingdom of God, if you will plant that seed, if you'll be willing to protect it and water it and weed it and cultivate it, even when you're tired, even when you don't feel like getting up in the morning, even when everything is going on around you and you're busy and it's calling for your attention, Jesus says, if you will wait, what you will discover is month after month and year after year and season after season, if you don't give up, your faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness and the kingdom of God will continue to grow and expand. This is what scholars refer to as the now and not yet of the kingdom, which is just a short way of saying that the kingdom is here now. When Jesus walked on the scene in Mark 1, he began to bring the kingdom with him. When we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at him healing the sick and casting out demons and feeding the poor and showing compassion to the last, the least, and lawful society, that is a picture of the kingdom of God breaking into this present world. So the kingdom is here now through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is here now through the church as we live by the power of the Spirit and the everyday stuff of life. The kingdom of God is here, but Listen, it's not fully here. Does that make sense? Think back to that pin oak in my front yard. It's here. Drive by my house this afternoon. You'll see that that oak tree is here. But it's not fully here. 
It's not everything it's meant to be yet. And Jesus says that's what it's like in the kingdom of God. And by the way, the technical term for this, um, if you want to impress your friends this week, is called inaugurated eschatology. Okay, just try to throw that in in a conversation. It kind of reminds me of inaugurated eschatology, um, which simply means that Jesus has inaugurated, he has set into motion the eschaton, the end goal of human history where the kingdom of God will once again overlap completely with the kingdom of earth. So the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is growing. But listen to me, everybody listen. It still has a long ways to go. And you don't have to let that bum you out. You don't have to let that bum you out because Jesus says it's like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed, which he says, right, starts small, but eventually, in his words, it becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. And if you think about it, like, for those of you that are in here, maybe you're skeptics, you're like, I just don't know about this whole Christianity thing and the kingdom of God. Like, if you think about it, this is what we're seeing happening throughout history. Just, just, I mean, it just, we, I mean, who would have ever thought that an obscure teacher named Jesus from a podunk town would literally become the most central figure in human history? No matter what religion or where you come from, I mean, that's, that's undebatable. Jesus is the most central figure in human history. How's that happen? Who would have ever thought that 120 people hiding in a room would grow and expand over all the known world to the point that three centuries later, as historian Rodney Stark points out, 53% of the Roman Empire was practicing the way of Jesus. How does that happen? And if that's not incredible enough, think about this. Look around at the room today. Here we are a millennia later in Paragold, Arkansas, and what in the world are we doing? We're singing songs about Jesus. And you're listening to teaching from this Bible that's about Jesus. Why? Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And it starts small, but then it grows into something bigger and better and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. So according to Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And here's what I want you to see this morning. This is the main thing I want us to focus on. As disciples, as the church, which Paul says literally is the body of Christ... We are now called to participate in Jesus' kingdom work. Sin has separated heaven and earth, but now, thanks to Jesus, he has slowly but surely, through his church, been ushering the kingdom into the present world. And now, by how we live and how we speak, it is our time in this cultural moment to partner with Jesus in pulling his kingdom further and deeper into this world. Which is why we say this, our vision as a church is simply this. Our vision is to see God's kingdom come and his will being done in northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven. If somebody asks you today or this week, hey, what's the vision of the crossing? That's what you should say. You can say whatever you want, but that's our vision. To see God's kingdom come and his will being done in northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven. Despite what you have been told, please, if you're, if you're you know, falling asleep, wake up for this part. Despite what you have been told growing up, the end goal of a disciple is not to say a prayer, live however you want, hopefully die in your sleep, and then go to heaven. The end goal of a disciple is not to go up there. But according to the Bible, the end goal of a disciple is to bring up there, down here. And until you see that is why you have been left on this planet, 
you will miss out on what it means to follow Jesus in this life. In other words, you're going to miss out on the main thing, the most basic thing. And you may give your life to doing some good stuff, some good things, but you will miss out on the greatest thing, which means you will miss out on the life you were created to experience. And therefore, in light of this, listen, if you're a disciple, and listen, I know some of you are not disciples, and maybe even after today, some of you, if you can be honest, for the first time ever, you might say, I don't want to be a disciple. And that would actually be a good thing for you to be honest about that. If you're here today and you're not a disciple, I'm very glad you are here. But for those of you who are disciples, you really want to follow Jesus. Hopefully right now, the question you're asking yourself is, how do we participate in this? I mean, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a factory worker or a medical professional or a restaurant owner or whatever you do or wherever you come from, the question we should all be asking if we want to follow Jesus is, how is this possible? What role do I play in seeing this dream become a reality? What is my role in seeing God's kingdom come and will being done in Northeast Arkansas as in heaven? And what I would say is there are at least three things this means. If you want to see God's kingdom come and will being done here in Northeast Arkansas as in heaven, it means that we are as a church to pray for the kingdom, to pursue the kingdom, and to proclaim the kingdom. I want to say a short word on each, and then we'll be done. First off, if we're going to see this dream become a reality, we need to pray for the kingdom. Whenever Jesus was asked in Matthew 6, Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus, again, should have said whatever he wanted, but he said, pray like this. Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize Jesus would have never told his disciples to pray that way if he didn't think that we could actually participate in him and pull in his kingdom into this world? You realize that? He would have never, that was a waste of time. If we have nothing to do with seeing his kingdom come and will being done, he would have never said pray this way. But he said, no, when you pray, pray kingdom-minded prayers. And I'll be honest, this is super convicting to me because most of my prayers, they're not about God's kingdom, they're about my kingdom. Make me comfortable. Make me successful. Make everybody nicer to me. Right? Make my life what I want it to be. Make my name great. It's a lot of my prayers. Me, 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 me. And Jesus said, whenever you pray, you are to pray, not Jared Pickney's kingdom come or your kingdom come, but pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done right here as it is in heaven. It's the first thing that we have to do as a church. That's why Adam talked about it in the first service, Luke in the second service. Our prayer meetings are the most important thing we do as a church. We are to pray for the kingdom. Secondly, because we want to see God's kingdom come and his will being done in northeast Arkansas as in heaven, we don't simply want to pray for the kingdom. We want to pursue the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus in his teaching on the mount, he's right in the middle of talking about anxiety. And he gives us a secret to how we can have peace rather than anxiety. And you know what he says the answer is? Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And a lot of that, I would just ask you this morning, whose kingdom are you really seeking? Another way of asking the question is, what rules your heart? What governs your affections and consumes your thoughts? What is it that you crave and desire? What is it that you would say, if I can have fill in the blank, then I will be happy? 
The truth is, we all, every single one of you, have a vision for the good life. You all have a vision of a kingdom that you think, if I could kind of build this thing and live within that, then I would be happy. And what Jesus wants you to know today is that if you are a disciple, you are to seek first his kingdom. You are to make Jesus and his kingdom, listen, the first priority in your life. I was reading a book by Greg McCowan last year called Essentialism, and he points out in the 1400s, the word priority came into the English language. Priority just means this is the number one thing in my life, the top thing. And what he points out in his book, it's very interesting. In the early 1900s, Americans said, you know what? We don't need a priority. And so we came up with a new word. We need priorities. And what we did is when we created this word priorities is we kind of thought as Americans that we can bend the rules and we can have a bunch of number one things in our life. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, man, isn't the temptation for us as cultural Christians is to believe the lie that we can make the kingdom of God one of our priorities? along with work, and along with our family, along with our kids and their athletic career and money and success. To believe the lie that I can make Jesus a priority and not make him the priority. Guys, the reality is what Jesus is calling us to is he is telling us that if we want to be his disciples, we need to make him and his kingdom the dominant pursuit in our lives above anything or anyone else. And so the question is, like, well, what exactly does that even look like to pursue first Jesus and his kingdom? Right? I mean, does it mean you need to quit your job? Does it mean you need to stop going to the lake on weekends? Does it mean that you don't need to let your kids play travel and sports? Does it mean that you just need to sit around and read your Bible all day? Like, what does it actually mean to seek first the kingdom of God? And what I would submit to you is it means at least three things. It means that if you want to seek first the kingdom of God, you need to give God your time, your talents, and your treasures. You know, one of the most precious commodities is our time, and yet it's something that we waste so easily. Um, I saw a statistic this past week that said the average American watches four hours of TV a day. That is unbelievable. What are we doing with our time? When do we work? I don't know. I read another statistic that says the average American spends three hours and 10 minutes on their smartphone a day, which, by the way, is a 19-minute increase a day from 2018. So we're not getting better at this. We're getting worse. And by the way, if you're like, man, not me, I'm, I'm so disciplined with my phone. If you have, I don't know how it works with an Android, but on an iPhone, go to settings, go to battery and life, and it'll show you how much time you've been spending on your phone just in the past 24 hours. And if you're anything like me, every time I do this, I'm just like, man, like I've got so much room to grow in this area personally. I'm so disciplined in my professional life. I'm not super disciplined in my personal life. And the amount of time that I spend on social media or like on just my phone proves that. I was thinking just a couple of weeks ago, um, I've been watching Sam the Cooking Guy videos. Anybody in this, in, else in here like Sam the Cooking Guy? Raise your hand. Okay, fantastic. Literally nobody in the first service even knows who he is. So you guys are way further advanced than those guys. So um, Sam the Cooking Guy, don't Google him right now. Some of you are like, Sam the Cooking Guy. Um, and so um, do it later this afternoon. You can thank me later. And so I was on YouTube. I'm Googling Sam the Cooking Guy. And he's talking about how he uses Japanese mayonnaise for everything, which let me tell you, if you're not using Japanese mayo, you should use it. 
but I didn't know why. So he's using it with everything. So like I go and I Google, I'm like, I'm just going to pull it, figure it out. Like, what's the difference between Japanese mayo and regular mayo? So I'm Googling that and I'm reading it. And then like, as I'm doing that, all of a sudden it just hits me. Oh, the college football playoffs are coming up. Like, I wonder like, when does the, when do those start? And so like, I'm like, I already got my phone up and the internet. So I'm just going to like figure that out. And so then I end up going to ESPN's website. When I go to their website, there's an article in there about how James Wiseman has left the Memphis Tigers to declare for the NBA draft. Right. And of course, I've got to figure that out. Like, well, what's that going on? So then I go and I'm reading about that. And that leads me to watch highlights of James Wiseman and his high school career and his college days, which then leads me to a video uh, of, of Penny Hardaway highlights because he's the coach for the Memphis Tigers. And then that leads me to a video of Penny and Little Penny commercials in the mid 90s. And so I'm watching all this. And before I know it, literally an hour and 10 minutes have passed me by an hour and 10 minutes. And yeah, there you go. So. And yes, go Tigers. Um, listen, here's my point in sharing that. It, it, a lot of us are wasting time on some pretty silly stuff with nothing to show for it. As opposed to spending time investing in our relationship with Jesus and his kingdom. And if that is where you are today, listen, I'm glad that you're here. Or you're here. I really am. But I think some of us need to do an honest assessment of our lives. Because if we can be honest... When we look at how much time we're spending watching TV, watching Netflix, on our phone, versus how much time we spend with Jesus, you're just going to have to come to the conclusion you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. You're just not. Some of you in here, and, and I promise you this is love in my heart, it, some of you in here, you're, you're not practicing the spiritual disciplines. We talk about it all the time, and you're, just, you're not carving out space to spend time in the scriptures every day. You're not practicing silence and solitude. You're not spending time in prayer. Some of you, you're here right now on the Sunday gathering. But this is like a very rare occasion for some. And I promise you, God, I don't have anybody in my mind right now. I'm not trying to like pinpoint anybody, anything like that. But some of you, it's like, I mean, unless the stars align just right and work was fantastic and nobody has a snotty nose and the, the sun is out, like you're just not going to come. Uh, some of you... You know, you, you said you recognize you need community, you need to be a part of a missional community and in a DNA or whatever, but you, you're not there more than you're there. Um, some of us, man, we wouldn't dare miss work, we wouldn't miss a kid's activity, and rightly so, we should be at all of our kids' activities, and there's so many things that are vying for our attention, but we will almost come up with any excuse possible to not be involved and to not seek first the kingdom of God. And I know that as I'm saying this right now, listen, I know that this is not going to sit well with some of you. And some of you are probably going to get mad at me for this. Um, but I love you enough that I'm going to say it anyway. Like, you need this. You do. I don't care who you are or where you come from or what stage of life you are in. You need this Sunday gathering every week. Because it's the only time where we come together and we push pause in the busyness of our life and we do something as weird of, of sitting all together and singing songs to Jesus and listening to teaching from the scriptures. We get off our phone for a minute and stop like letting the world inform how we should live and who we are and we let Jesus tell us that. We take communion, which is actually commanded in scripture to partake of. Like you need this. You need to be involved in a missional community. You need guys, listen, to spend time reading the scriptures. You need to spend time in prayer. You need this, and listen to me, parents. Your family needs this. Some of you, if you can 
just be honest and do an evaluation of your schedule. Um, you need to, I, I would just encourage you this week to, start, to stop for a moment, look at your schedule and ask yourself this. What am I telling my kids is most important in my life by how I live? The reality is, guys, listen, your children learn way more by what you do than what you say. Uh, your life is your greatest sermon and therefore, I would just encourage you, when you look at your Sunday attendance and you look at how often you pray and read the Bible and show up to your MC meal, what does your schedule say about whose kingdom is the top priority in your life? Some of you, you are telling your kids by how you live to live for their kingdom. You're telling them that it's okay for them to basically build up these little sandcastles of a life that are going to be washed away by the storms of life rather than pointing them to Christ. And so I want to encourage you by how you spend your time to seek first the kingdom of God. Secondly, I want to encourage you, if you want to seek first the kingdom of God, you don't just need to give Jesus your time, you need to give him your treasures. And I'll move much quicker on these next two, but you need to give Jesus your treasures. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but listen to me. There is no better test for where your heart is right now than how you spend your money. And that's not my words, that's Jesus' words. Jesus said, plain and simple, your heart is where your treasure is. If you really want to know, what you prioritize in your life. You're kind of like, yeah, what do I really care about? What do I really worship? What's really the main thing? Whose kingdom am I really seeking? Look at your giving report. Look at your bank account. Look and ask yourself this question. Where does my money most effortlessly run? Where am I so quick to say, oh yeah, you can have my money. This can have my money. That thing can have my money. Like That tells you what you treasure and value the most. The truth is, guys, please hear me. Jesus does not need your money, but he does want your heart. And one way you can know that Jesus has your heart is if he has your wallet. You see it over and over and over in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus talked about money 25% of the time he was talking because it's the greatest measure of where your heart is. So if we want to seek first the kingdom of God, we give him our time, we give him our treasures. And I would just say lastly, we also give him our talents. Every single one of you has been endowed by the creator with a natural gifting. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that natural gifting has been animated by the Holy Spirit. On top of that, you have training, you have schooling, you have a platform, you have a social network. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to seek first his kingdom, the question you need to be asking is, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to use all of that for your kingdom? And so to see God's kingdom come and his will being done in any age in heaven, we pray for the kingdom, we pursue first the kingdom, and lastly and very quickly, we also need to proclaim the kingdom. In Mark 1, Jesus came on the scene proclaiming the kingdom of God, and as disciples, we're called to do the same thing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if you are a disciple, you are an ambassador for King Jesus. And what do ambassadors do? They speak on behalf of the king. And so I want to encourage you in 2020 to continue to open up your mouth and tell people about Jesus. I know in 2019, we challenged the church to have gospel conversations with a thousand people far from God. We're not going to make uh, another challenge this year, but we're going to encourage you, keep having gospel conversations. Keep planting seeds. Keep telling people the good news that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that they can now have a relationship with the God who alone can fulfill them, the God who is making all things new. If we want to see God's kingdom come and will be and done in any age in heaven, this is what we do. This is our call. We pray for the kingdom. We pursue the kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom. And as we do this, listen, not overnight, but over time, you know what will happen as a church? We will make Northeast Arkansas a little bit less like hell and a little bit more like heaven. All that being said, as we end this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to close your eyes. 
And just where you are, I want to I take a moment to engage our imagination. I'm going to invite the band. You can go ahead and come on up without anybody looking around. I want you to just stop and ask yourself this question. What would it look like if you woke up tomorrow morning and the kingdom of God was fully present in northeast Arkansas as in heaven? What would it look like tomorrow if you woke up and the kingdom of God was fully present in northeast Arkansas as in heaven? Think about that. The truth is, addictions would be broken. Shame would be gone. Guilt forgiven. Fear overcome. The hungry would be fed. The sick healed. Orphans adopted. Widows would be cared for. Foreigners would be welcomed. There'd be no dividing lines. No looking down on others. Just a city where we could be known, belong, and be loved. A garden city that would be marked by the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what life in the kingdom of God is like. And therefore, that is why our vision as a church is to join Jesus in seeing his kingdom come and his will being done in any way as in heaven. With that being said, and your eyes still closed, we're about to enter into a time of communion. And here's what I want to ask you, just one more question. Though I'm in front of a crowd, I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Here's the question. Has the kingdom of God even come to your own heart yet? Before it can ever come into our city even further, it needs to come into your own heart. In other words, has Jesus really become the king of your life? If you can be honest, like the question, by the way, it's not, have you been baptized? It's not, have you prayed a prayer? It's not, are you a member of the church? It's not, do you throw money in the offering basket? The question is, by how you spend your time, by how you spend your talents and your treasures, can you really say that you have trust Jesus as the king of your life? The reality is, guys, despite what you have been told, Jesus will not be your savior if you will not let him be your king. Some of you have given Jesus... You think you're afterlife, but you've not given him this life. And if you haven't given Jesus this life, you don't get him in the afterlife. And so I want to encourage you right here and right now, if you have never given Jesus your life, if you've never said, here is everything, here's my relationships, here's my sexuality, here's my past, here's my present, here's my future, here's my time. Jesus, I believe you're better than all that, and so I want you to come be the king of my heart. If you have never done that, I want to encourage you to do it. In just a moment, we're going to partake of communion. As we say before, if you're not a Christian, there's not many closed doors to you here, but communion is a closed door to you because it's really for those who have already trusted in Jesus as the king of their life. And so if you've never trusted him, as we sing this song next, I want to encourage you to make this song your prayer, to ask Jesus to be your king. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus, if he has become your king, listen, every week we take communion because we need to be reminded that we have rebelled against the king. We have rebelled against him. We have all tried to make this life more about building our kingdom than his. And because of that, we need every week to come to the table and be reminded that Jesus, the King of kings, that he came to this earth and he didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom so that we can be forgiven of our sins. We need to be reminded that because we try to take Jesus' place on, the cro- on, on his throne, that he took our place on the cross. And that he had a throne, or he had a, a, a crown, and it wasn't a crown of jewels, it was a crown of thorns that he put on his head, and then he was lifted up in the greatest act of love and humility. He was lifted up on the cross 
so that those who trust in his life, death, and resurrection can now be lifted up with him for all and eternity, and we can feast, and we can enjoy the overflow of God's perfections. And communion is a way for us to come forward and get a taste of that future reality breaking into this present world. And so again, if it's your first time with us, if you're a Christian, you are welcome to these tables. The way it works for us, just so you're clear, we have two stations in the front, two in the back. You can just tear off a piece of bread, which represents the body of Christ, and you can dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of Christ shed for us. And then we'll return back to our seats, and we'll sing in another song together. That being said, I invite you to stand. I want to pray for us. And then we'll move forward in communion. Yes, so Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is here today. I know that for many that this could have been a tough word, a heavy word, but I pray that they will see that this is an invitation from you, Jesus, to experience deeper life and deeper fulfillment. Some of us are so anxious because we're not seeking first your kingdom. And today you invite us to rest in you. You invite invite us to find the love and the joy and the peace that we are longing for. And I pray that as we partake of communion, that we'll be reminded all over again, Jesus, that life is better whenever you are running it. I pray that we'll be quick to repent where we need to repent and trust you. Grant us faith. Grant us repentance. And for those who might be here today who have never actually given their lives to you, I pray that that will happen right now. It's in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.